about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And continuing on. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. I, he, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he said through his holy prophet of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew, And became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Well, good evening, friends. Well, that's me being ringy again. Um, Hopefully, you can put up with my annoying voice for a little bit longer. It's my last Sunday, and uh, and I'm thankful to be here. And it's been a wonderful journey these last four years. But. If you're new here tonight, and I do see a few new faces, it's great that you could be with us tonight. I look forward to getting to know you, but more importantly, you should know some other people since I'm leaving. Um, So I've been thinking a little bit about legacy, uh, because I'm old, um, well, older than most of you, and uh, of course, I'm thinking about what's happened over the last few years that I've been here. But bear with me, I promise I'm not going to be indulgent in this last sermon. Uh, In fact, this passage has helped me think wonderfully about my place in a grander story. But one of, um, one of the other reasons I've been thinking about uh, legacy is I've been reading this book here. 
uh, sometimes it's helpful to read a story that is so much grander than your own that you sort of know your place, right? Uh, this story is called Madness, uh, subtitled One Man's Crazy Dream to Transform Asia and Beyond, and written by a guy called Jossie Chako, who grew up in South India uh, for various reasons, felt a calling to come to Melbourne, Australia, where he studied theology and went back to North India as a missionary. Uh, Now, for those that don't know, the gap between South India and North India is is quite significant. And so he went to North India, not being able to speak the language of most of the people there. It was the most unreached place on earth. And people didn't know about Jesus and were hostile towards him. And his legacy really began with his faithful action, him and a buddy, uh, traveling around in a bus, uh, sharing the gospel. And now they are an international organization that is well on its way to transforming 100,000 communities in the name of Christ. That is massive, right? And so I found myself feeling a little small as I read that book, and that's okay. As I think about legacy as well, I cannot help but note that a number of notable Christian leaders this year have left behind a legacy that is far less positive. Uh, Leaders who have abused their power, their position, people, And so as we come to this passage, how might we think about our place and our contribution? Well, John the Baptist's legacy is, it's given to him right up front, before he's, or as he's born, basically. And it's not some kind of tiger mum's kind of attempt to live their dreams through their child. Uh, This is a prophecy about John's place in the world and his contribution uh, in Christ. And uh, it's our privilege today to, to look at that together. And so keep the passage open. I'm going to put the passage up on the screen as well. I'll come back to that in a second. Um, we'll just... Ah, there we go. We'll start there. Um, but keep, keep Luke 1 open in front of us, and we're going to go through it together, because we can't help but notice how Zechariah starts uh, in praise. And I'm going to be looking at mostly verse 67. That's the little number 67 uh, under, under chapter 1. Uh, He starts with, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the thing I love about being a believer is that I have somebody, someone to thank. I'm not just kind of trying to conjure up an attitude of thankfulness, of positive thinking. I have someone in every season to praise, to thank. And I'm hoping we'll return back to this because this is a season where there might be a lot of things where you're not thankful for because it's been a difficult season. But nonetheless, I want us to see that in every season, uh, whether it's positive news like this or otherwise, we have someone to thank, and his name is Jesus. And so Zechariah sings his praise to God, uh, but he doesn't just sing a praise, uh, a song of praise, because God's hashtag blessed him with a child. <laughs> no, no he, look, look at what he says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And he's not actually talking about John. This this prophecy, uh, this this legacy of John's, is not going to be primarily about John, but what John is pointing to, even who John is pointing to. I've got a two-part sermon tonight. It's um, I ran out of puff, uh, couldn't get to three points, and so it's just two points The first one being, God has come to save. Because when uh, Zechariah praises God uh, about his coming, it is to redeem. 
It is to save. I'm going to put the text up on the screen. It's a little small, I know, but I'm just going to highlight a few things as we go through so that we might take the nuggets out of this and dwell richly upon them. You can see both the beginning and the end of this song, the emphasis on the Lord coming, the Lord coming, and not, and not just John, but God himself. This is something extraordinary. Zechariah had had nine months to dwell on this grace given him, that there would be something extraordinary about to happen. And when he is released from that being mute, he just sings it all out. The Lord is coming. And my son is going to prepare the way for the Lord. What does it look like for the Lord to come to redeem and to save? Well, as he sings, he kind of he takes up the story of the Old Testament. Uh, this is mo- most of the Bible. Uh, before, before this is the Old Testament. It, this isn't just kind of the beginning of the story. It's the climax of the story. And so he picks up all these themes about God saving. And we can see that there. The first one, uh, the salvation means from our enemies, even from the hand of those who hate us. Now, that might feel a little bit strange. Perhaps you don't feel like you need to be saved from people who hate you or are bearing down upon you. Perhaps your uh, struggles and burdens are, are not quite like that. But throughout the Old Testament, God's people uh, were, became kind of a wonderful nation. In fact, that, that's what they were called to be. Uh, but there were plenty of times when other nations would bear down upon them. And they felt so small and they felt like God wasn't with them and, and, they, and they wanted God to protect them against those super nations around them that hated them and their God, and plenty of psalms are all about that. But as Zechariah is going to keep singing, it's so much more. Salvation coming is going to be so much more than just those moments through the Old Testament story about God delivering them from their enemies. Jesus will go on to say, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both. This salvation is going to take on a spiritual dimension because we are to be aware that the story we find ourselves in is more than just living through the week. We are part of a story of God and humanity. And in that story, there is indeed Satan. Uh, Chapter 3 of the Bible, right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, we hear the story of how humanity says to God, kind of get stuffed. (laughs) We can do it our own way from here. And that's under the influence of Satan who has been at work throughout history. Zechariah wants us to know that Satan will not have the victory, that salvation is coming, and that God will deliver us, not just from people who don't like us, but from the spiritual powers that war against us. Secondly, Zechariah wants us to see that from time gone by, God has been a God of mercy, showing mercy to his ancestors, but also so clearly to the father Abraham, all the way back in Genesis again. God sought out Abraham, who by faith was credited righteousness, and by grace was given a promise of of people, of land, and to be a blessing to the world. Why did Abraham get all that? Because of God's grace. So the thing is, is God could have totally walked away. When we said, God, we don't need you, we're going to do it our own way. 
He could have just walked away, but God has been pursuing us because God is a God of grace. God is a God who saves. And all of this is encapsulated in what is about to unfold. For the climax of the story is about to happen, and Zechariah's son John is about to point to that moment, that penultimate moment of John's birth. He's going to point to Jesus because salvation is ultimately back in verse 77 here, ultimately about the forgiveness of sins. Friends, we have a God problem. We have a problem of the heart. We need to be reconciled back to Jesus, back to God. And the only way we're going to do that is not to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but to accept the gift of grace, the gift of forgiveness, as Jesus dies in our place. I was chatting with some people at the food ministry this week, and um, I've loved participating in that ministry. Each week on a Thursday afternoon down in Erskineville, we'd have people lining up down kind of the the path to the church and around the corner sometimes into the street. And um, as people are waiting for uh, their food, because we kind of, we do it slowly as we hand out food to individuals and talk to them. As people are in the queue, a guy says to me, he goes, mate, you know what this world needs? And I love those, I love those comments. I'm like, where is this going to go? He goes, the world needs more respect. I was like, absolutely the world needs more respect. Uh, Here is a guy who is down in his luck and has experienced all kinds of ways where he has not been respected. And he's trying to do his level best to respect others, but he's finding it real damn hard. Other variations of the story would be the world just needs love. I mean, love is love or whatever variation we have. We just need love. It's the answer. It's graffitied on that big, the, the Dendi building just down the road here. But neither is enough on its own terms. We can't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to love more, to respect more. We have a heart problem. The very problem is that we are corrupted. We are curved inwards. And at the root of the human condition is our rejection of God. And so God comes to us. Not us to him. He comes to us and offers us Forgiveness of sins. That as we are forgiven before God, we might then go on to forgive those who trespass against us. That we might have the resources to respect and to love. But first and foremost, we have to do business with God. And John is going to be the guy to point people to Jesus. What an honor. Because we have a God who is tender, Look at the way it's described in verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of God. Tender. It's kind of the way I describe my best days of parenting. Not my worst, for sure. Uh, But the way I care for my children as they are hurting or in need, and I pick them up and I comfort them as I tenderly love them. God has come to us in, in tender mercy. Because that's who he is. Not just in his best moments. That is who he is. And then the song goes on, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. What a wonderful way of describing. Because as God comes from heaven to earth, as he crosses that great divide of of creator into creation, of holiness into a sinful, dark mess. 
It's described as the rising sun shining into the darkness. I've had the opportunity this week to to share these very words of comfort with a number of people who are doing it really tough this week. I feel like over the last three weeks, I mean, I was kind of hoping for sort of a lighter touch the last few weeks, but in God's kindness and provision, he's continued to allow me to speak into people's lives and, you know... The difficulties of this year are coming home to roost in a whole bunch of people's lives. Not to mention things that are thrust upon us. We had a funeral here on Friday morning as we farewelled our our beloved sister from the morning congregation. I met with someone whose wife died a year ago this week. I met with people who are struggling with serious and grave sickness. And those who are just feeling completely overwhelmed by all that is happening. And I gave them these words. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Friends, we have a shepherd, Jesus, the one John who's pointing to, who has walked through the valley of the shadow of death, who has died where we should have died, and rose triumphant that we might be guided into peace. Not that we'll have to struggle to fight for it. No, that victory's been won. That he would guide our feet into the path of peace. And oh, we need that peace. We need rest from the tyranny of sin. We need rest from having to achieve our own legacies. And we need that peace, that shalom, that restitution and reconciliation between all things, especially us and God. And the only way to find that is to have our feet guided by the shepherd into the very peace of God. I find most of my pastoral work is actually just reminding people who they are in Christ. Because the gospel is really simple. We have a God who is merciful and who has forgiven our sins in Jesus Christ. And we find all kinds of ways to make that complicated and some of those ways are thrusted upon us. But in our existential journeys, in our own complexities, I want to keep drawing us back to the simplicity of the gospel. That we have a God who saves because he is merciful. We're saved to something as well. And that that kind of rings out. I've skipped over it in the passage. You You might have noticed that. But we are saved to serve him. And as I said, most of this song has not been about John at all. It's been about God and the coming of him in Jesus Christ. Where Zechariah kind of gets to John is is as he speaks of God's salvation. He gets to halfway through verse 74. uh, To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, he says to John, will be called a prophet of the Most High. He's saying, you, my John, will take up the same call to serve. For you are safe to serve. We are safe to serve. And it's a wonderful thing. Do you notice how it's described? To serve him, to serve God without fear. I think it's really important that we notice that. For if we were saved by anything other than grace, 
we would have to work our way and, and hope that our efforts would be enough to appease the great God, for he should be so worthy of our praise and fear that we, we wouldn't know how to kind of, whether we have any confidence to cross that great gap and to enter the very throne room of God. But friends, we can serve God without fear because we are saved by grace. So if at the end of this year you are feeling like you've shanked it and you haven't done enough and God's upset with you, come back to the simplicity of you are saved by the tender mercy of God and serve him without fear. Serve him without fear, but instead in freedom and in love. Just this morning as I was chatting with someone uh, in the pew, someone who's actually quite elderly, uh, he's just started a year-long course on stewardship. Uh, just this last week he started it. And he just said, and I just said, oh, that's a, that's a big effort, mate. He said, well, if I've given my life to God, I might as well serve him with all I've got. He gets it. He gets it. And I love the maturity and the wisdom of elderly saints as they encourage us, as they keep striving towards serving God. Everyone here who has been saved by grace is saved to serve God. We are an every member ministry kind of church. You haven't come to a program where kind of the guy up front tells you what to do and off you go and do it. You have come to a community of people worshipping Jesus. And my role here now is to help you see him and worship him, to be turned outward and to let everything you do be an act of worship as you serve him. Again, sort of thinking about some conversations uh, in the food ministry this week. Uh, there's a guy who's, um, who's been serving us. He's one of my neighbors, actually, the first guy that welcomed me into Erskineville. And uh, over the last year, I said, do you want to come and uh, help us out, do, do the food ministry? He's not a believer, um, but he's found himself curious about these Christians. I mean, I kept sort of pushing that upon him, really. But uh, I, I invited him to come and serve with us, and he's been a wonderful member of a team serving those in need. And he said to me this week, as we sort of farewelled each other, he said, serving in the food ministry has forced me to look beyond myself. He gets it, right? That when we serve, it kind of it brings us out of ourselves, that we might actually focus on who we're serving. Firstly, God, but also others. I mean, love God and love your neighbor. Again, we are not a community here uh, that's first and foremost a community of loving one another. And that is kind of like you scratch my back and I scratch yours and we kind of make this sort of... That, that actually can become really toxic. We are a community of people gathered by grace to worship God and out of the overflow of that we love one another and we serve each other and we serve a world in need. I think one of the things that I found helpful reflecting on this passage is I've been able to move from, from the sadness of leaving as so though this was my church and kind of like, and they were my contributions. And I've been able to move towards just a simple thankfulness. I'm thankful that God has called me here for a time. I'm thankful for the way he's enabled me to serve others. And all of it has been an act of worship to God. But if I could share something from a pastor's heart, a confession as it were, it's that sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough. I mean, there's a couple of hundred people that call this church home. And there's thousands more in our part of the city that don't yet know Jesus. And it's so easy to feel burdened by just the, the never-ending list of people to, to meet with, conversations to have. But quite often, 
as I sort of come around to something that I haven't yet done, I find that someone else is pastoring, that someone else is serving. And that reminds me of that I am one part of the member, oh, my member in the body of Christ, called to serve one another and a world in need. And that is a tremendous privilege. And I want to urge you to keep doing that, not in your own strength, but as a response to the God who has tenderly saved you in his mercy. But John actually, John himself, as he grows up, puts it probably the best. Uh, John says this in, uh, in John chapter 3. That's confusing. John, John, the gospel writer, writes about John the Baptist in John 3. May he be more, Jesus that is, may Jesus be more and I be less. I kind of feel like that actually sums up what it means to be saved to serve. N- not that John was down on himself. Not that John belittled himself or thought himself uh, sort of of low esteem. No. The more, he, the more he loved God, the more he served him, just the less he thought about himself. And I wonder if we might keep pressing into that. We might be less worried about ourselves and be more focused on God and serving others. But what, what's incredible is that this guy of sort of, who says, may I be less, is the same guy that Jesus said in Matthew 11, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. I mean, that's high esteem. Jesus thinks that there is no one through history before Jesus that was worthy of this title. He is the greatest born of woman. John the Baptist is that incredible. And yet, John himself would say, May I be less and he be more. But the next thing that Jesus says in Matthew 11, I find even more extraordinary. For as great as John is, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He is referring to us. He is referring to anyone who has faith in Jesus. You are greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because John was pointing towards Jesus. John did not get to see the fullness of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, for he was beheaded before Jesus had finished his ministry. Friends, we have been called to participate and to proclaim the fullness of Christ, for we have seen Jesus' life, his death for us, and the forgiveness of sins, and now the new life that we have in him. And because of that, because of the grace given us, Jesus would say, we are greater than John the Baptist. What an incredible honor. And yet at the same time, that honor is entirely by grace. And I want us, like John, to just take our part in the story, in the grand story of God's salvation of humanity. So do not think of yourself highly, but do not... Think of yourself lowly esteemed either, for Jesus thinks you are greater than John the Baptist. He thinks the world of you as he died for you, but you have been called to serve him and a world in need. Friends, we get to live out our legacy. Stop trying to achieve it. You are living it out as God has called you and saved you to serve. 
I wonder if we might think about it like this. Given the simplicity of the gospel, people are starting to reevaluate, and I'm sort of going to finish with this. Uh, people are reevaluating their careers right now. I mean, they're calling it the Great Resignation, big thing in the States, and it's starting to happen here. I know of several people who have resigned. In fact, someone pointed out this morning that that's me as well. I hadn't thought about that. But anyway, um, the, the great re- resignation is, is, is about kind of people reevaluating their kind of their values, the lifestyle they were hoping for, and, and kind of working from home and all the disruption has kind of forced them to kind of reevaluate their, their careers and where they'd like to go. I mean, it's just, it's just an epic, all at once, the grass is greener on the other side kind of moment. I mean, good luck with that. Um, but... It is appropriate times to, to take stock and say, actually, I am longing for more. And, and I would like to do things differently. I find, that's one of the reasons why I find New Year's resolutions quite helpful. But here's the thing. COVID and all that we've been through is just a blip in the grand story of God. For the greatest disruption is not being locked down, but the moment where God himself came to us, where he crossed from heaven to earth, from the holiness of his throne room into the darkness and sinfulness of our world. When in his tender mercy, he would draw near to us and save us. I wonder if we just might take stock to just wonder if we've lost the simplicity of that message, to come back and rejoice in the wonder of God. Yep, I know it's a whirlwind out there, and we're just about heading to Christmas, and that's not any quieter. But I wonder if we might just come back to the simplicity of the gospel and that we have been saved to serve. Now, if you're tired, like me and the rest of the staff team, the idea of being saved to serve feels like another thing to do. And yet, I'm calling you to hand over your burdens, your anxieties, to the one who promises to take them from you and to give you rest, to guide you into peace. And I wonder if you, with me, might take up what it means to just come before our God and say, show me how you would like me to serve, because my life is yours and I want to live for you. Let us take up our part in the grand story. The grand story that has Jesus at the center, but that same Jesus has brought us to himself in grace. Let me pray. Our Father, would you continue to minister to us? Thank you that you care for us and help us to continue to appreciate and and be filled with wonder for all that you have done for us. And even in our tiredness, would you give us a spirit-filled strength and and a spirit-filled worship that tonight and every day of our lives may be about serving you and worshipping you until we see you face to face. And we pray this in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.